I served in Vietnam. I served in Iraq. No matter where you served or when, VA has benefits for veterans of every generation. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. Good morning, everybody. I'm Timothy Lawson, your host for This Week at VA. This is episode 13 as we get the ball rolling in 2017. I really appreciate everybody uh, for their their kind words and the positive feedback about last week's episode that featured Air Force veteran Jim Davis. Uh, Jim spent a uh, little over a decade homeless and sort of nomadic uh, in the wilderness on the eastern seaboard, even wandered off in, uh, over to uh, Montana and after about 10 or 12 years of living this lifestyle, he emerged from the woods. He uh, tapped into help at the, at the VA and, and other people that were able to assist him and uh, is now giving back to veterans, serving back in the community as the veteran outreach specialist at Pathways to Housing DC. And I know Jim was really honored to be able to share his story. We were privileged to be able to share it. And uh, we just all want to thank you for, uh, for listening and, and giving us great feedback on that. If you haven't heard it, it's the last episode. Uh, it's last week's episode. It's in the feed. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play is where we can be found, as well as at the blog, blogs.va.gov. I want to take a second to highlight the blog. It is uh, such an incredible resource that we have here at VA. All the content that we create and curate gets populated and lives at the blog, regardless of where we, whether we put it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, no matter Flickr, st- places like that, uh, good chances are that if it made it out there, it lives somewhere on the blog. So if you're keeping track of the blog, if you're visiting it, you're definitely you're making sure that you're getting uh, access to each story and staying up to date on what's going on with health and VA careers, the Center for Women Veterans, the Secretary, uh, and everything not only within VA but inside the veteran community. We have more than 500 registered contributors that either have or do regularly contribute at the Vantage Point blog. I highly suggest that you go to blogs.va.gov and bookmark it and put it into your daily or weekly routine to stay up to date on what we have going on as an organization, what progress we're making in the transformation of VA, what's going on inside of our community, and getting access to all of our videos, photos, podcasts, and stories uh, because they all live right there on the blog. This week's podcast features Army veteran John Lee Dumas. John is a Army veteran and is probably is definitely most well known for being the host of the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast. John was living a normal commercial life one day. I believe he was doing commercial real estate, listening to podcasts, ran out of podcasts, and decided, hey, I'm going to do my own. So he launched the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, which was groundbreaking and disruptive in a way that it, it was a daily podcast. And no one was really doing that at the time. This is, this is about four years ago, I believe. No one was doing that at the time. Everybody was doing weekly shows. John came in with a full-length daily podcast and really disrupted the market and uh, became very successful and very well-known. And he contributes that, as he mentions in our interview, to being a veteran and having that sense of motivation and discipline to be able to follow through with that aspiration that he had. So John and I are going to talk about why he joined the military, 
being a part of the first commission class or first class to commission after 9-11, being a veteran in entrepreneurship, how veterans can thrive and maybe what holds them back in entrepreneurship and, and being in business. And then John just recently moved to Puerto Rico uh, and had and want in comments a bit on his care that he's gotten there at the medical center and why he continues to trust VA with his care. Enjoy. John Lee Dumas. It's been a while. It's good to talk to you, man. Tim, it's always good to hear your voice. Your energy is one of those that matches mine, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. You and I <laughs> connected uh, a, a few years ago, I think, through uh, the podcasting network. I think we ran into each other at uh, some conference in Vegas. It's hard to keep track of them all anymore. Uh, it was one of those. Yeah, one of those. Uh, we've been able to keep in touch ever since. We've exchanged a lot of conversations on on podcasts, especially ones that pertain to veterans. And when we started the VA podcast, I knew that I wanted to have you on, and I'm so glad that you made time for it. So thank you for joining me. Well, dude, I mean, I think even if you weren't a veteran, I'd keep in touch because you're just a cool guy. But put a veteran on top of that, and, I mean, you have my undivided attention. I appreciate that, John. John, the audience heard before the top, uh, before the interview uh, about you, your, your business, Entrepreneur on Fire, stuff like that. Uh, but the one thing that the, that the audience loves to hear from the veteran itself is the, the one thing that, ha- that we all have in common, right, joining the military. Bring us back to that decision for you. So I was in high school, and I was just kind of floating a little bit. I wasn't really excited about any specific subject. And, you know, I knew that I was definitely going to go to college, but I didn't really know what I was going to major in college. So I I really just didn't have this clear focus in life. And, you know, I did look up to my father in a lot of areas, and he was an Army veteran. He was actually still in the reserves at that point. He spent uh, four years active as a JAG officer, and then he did a total of, I think it was 32 years um, in the reserves. So he was an active reserve member going every year uh, off first two weeks of duty as a JAG officer. So I kind of grew up in that lifestyle with my grandfather telling stories about being in the Navy. Um, my other grandfather, who un- unfortunately uh, passed away before I was even born, but he was a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army, and he used to teach at Fort Riley, Kansas, which was uh, you know, pretty interesting because I ended up being stationed there for three years, so that was kind of a cool little thing that happened. Um, but I kind of grew up in that environment, and I said, you know, I don't have like this clear path. Like, I don't know that I want to be like a doctor or a dentist or a veterinarian, so you know, why don't I go ahead, um, apply for an ROTC scholarship? Uh, my father, who was a huge proponent of it, was basically saying, you know, John, like over the years I've saved up, like it was something like $35,000, which is a lot of money, but you know, at that time seemed like all of the money in the world. And he's like, whatever you don't spend in college, um, is going to be yours after college. He's like, you know, this is for your education. And if, if you accept a scholarship and the government pays for your education, then that's your money. So I had a pretty big financial incentive to do so as well because I was like, I can graduate at 22 and be a, a 35,000 heir, you know, which is like equivalent to a millionaire in my mind at that time. And so all those things just made sense. I applied for the ROTC, ROTC scholarship, got accepted at 17, and uh, started to look at schools that had great ROTC programs. And Providence College in Rhode Island really rose to the top. It was just incredible, the program they had put together there, and they were kind of the emphasis for all of Rhode Island. So Brown went there, uh, University of Rhode Island, Rick, Bryant, like all the local schools went to Providence for this centralized ROTC program. And I said, you know what? This is something that I want to do, and I committed uh, my senior year in high school. That's awesome. 
Um, so you, if I remember right, were one, like the first um, class to commission after 9-11. Is that right? Do I remember that right? You are correct. So my senior year, um, so we'd already been um, you know, through advanced camp, which is what all ROTC cadets have to do during their junior to senior year summer. You know, so we're in our senior year of college as, you know, fourth year cadets and nine eleven happens. And we spent the rest of that year knowing that we were gonna be the first round of commissioned officers post nine eleven. But I don't know, Tim, if I've actually told you this story. I've, I've told the story very, very rarely. So um, I feel like if I told it to anybody, it would be to you. But it was pretty crazy because um, I worked really hard, and I was actually out of 17 cadets. I placed fourth, um, which was pretty high, which pretty much um, assured me that I was going to be able to choose any uh, branch that I wanted to, to get into. And I decided that I wanted to be – um, an engineer. I wanted to be an Army uh, Corps of Engineers. That was like my thing. And I was pretty much assured that I was going to get that. Um, and so when 9-11 happened, the plane that hit the, pen, uh, the, that hit, uh, the Pentagon um, actually hit the ROTC headquarters portion of the Pentagon, which to make a long story short, destroyed all of the documents of all the, you know, the we as cadets from all over the country had sent in, you know, saying our number one through 17 desired branch. So that all got disintegrated. The world was in such, you know, this crazy place that they were just like, um, you know, we're not going to have you guys resubmit these forms because we don't have time for that. We're literally going to randomly assign you a branch. So my wow. year of college, Everybody got randomly assigned, and that's the only reason I was in armor. That wasn't even like in my top fifteen. Like I, I wanted nothing to do with tanks, and sure enough, I got assigned as an armor officer, and just kind of you know, like any good soldier, just uh, took it on the chin and drove forward. Yeah. The um, side note for anybody for anybody that visits Washington D.C., the Pentagon Memorial at the Pentagon is really well done and worth visiting. I've never been. Yeah, it's great. What What was your impression of the military before that happens? So we have, we've had a number of guests on the show, and it's one of my favorite things to to talk to veterans about because it's such a turning point in history and there's such a stark difference between how we felt about America and the military on September 12th, right, versus September 10 of that year. Um, so before 9-11, you're this cadet. Like, did you, like, what did you think you'd be doing in the military uh, before the attacks? You know, honestly, it's funny you say that because it is true. Like, I thought it was going to be a place that for four years, you know, I was going to kind of play on tanks, you know, hang out, see different parts of the world and the country that I had never seen before. And, you know, just kind of do my best to kind of continue my college experience of having fun. And then when 9-11 happened, everything changed. And I was like, okay, this just got real. This just got serious. Like this is now all of a sudden life and death. And, you know, my mindset basically had to change. And, you know, sure enough, um, it was just about one year. No, sorry. It was um, almost about two years to the day. So 9-11 was obviously September of uh, 2001. In September of 2003, so two years from the day that happened, I was in Iraq with my platoon of four tanks, 16 men um, patrolling the streets of Fallujah. So it was just kind of crazy to see you know, what that ex um, event um, transpired in my life. Yeah, and maybe what you just mentioned is the answer to this question, but uh, can you give us an experience that you had in the military that sort of sums up your time of service? 
Well, it would definitely be during my 13 months of, of tour, my 13 month tour of duty in Iraq. I mean, there was just a lot of things that happened during those 13 months. Um, and I will say, I think it's given me, um, a, a really great perspective on life because I think for a lot of people, it takes a traumatic situation. Like, you know, I've seen people in their mid thirties or fifties, you know, kind of floating through life, not really appreciating it for what it is. And then having something like, you know, cancer to, to really kind of slap them into reality. You know, they beat it, but they're like, wow, like I literally was facing death and I, and, and that kind of made them appreciate life. And, and, you know, and that happened to me at 23 years old and it happened to me a, a lot, a lot of times, um, throughout, um, my 13 months, but the one time I'll share right now specifically is, you know, we, we used to get mortared pretty consistently, um, at our base in, in Habania. And one day, one evening, or should I say middle of the night, I woke up, you know, to a very distant, like, boom. And then it was a little louder the next time, boom. Then a little louder the next time, boom. And it was very obvious that this mortar round, these mortar rounds were being walked in a forward line down you know, with unfortunately our barracks being right in the crosshairs eventually. And it just kept going, boom, boom, and getting louder and louder, you know, and everybody in the barracks kind of looking at each other like, we can't do anything. Like, you don't want to go outside because that's even more dangerous. But, you know, the barracks aren't these like, you know, super protected bunkers. They're like 18th, you know, 1800, you know, concrete structures that, you know, would collapse pretty quickly for sure um, if they got a direct hit. And then like the 15th round, somewhere around there, um, fortunately ended up being the last one. Um, but it just exploded right outside of our bunker, right on top of a, a Humvee and just the whole thing exploded. So it was a really extra loud, like ba-boom, ba-boom noise. And I remember thinking during that, you know, that walking of the mortar rounds towards our barracks, like, wow, this could be it. So, you know, time really slowed down. There was really nothing. You feel so hopeless during that time. And I just remember, you know, thinking to myself, like, if I make it through this, like I'm never going to, um, devalue the, the gift of life again. And, you know, sure enough, uh, I made it uh, through that. And, you know, by the way, like that explosion, like there were some serious injuries within the barracks. Like there were people that got shrapnel and got, so there were some real injuries that happened from that and a real kind of slap in the face, like, wow, like you just really literally dodged, you know, a bullet. And, but in this case, it was dodging a mortar round. And, you know, had there been one more mortar, you know, that next mortar could have been the one that dropped right on our barracks. And, you know, like whenever I've gotten frustrated with EO fire or with life or with anything, I just, you know, take myself back there and I just say, you know what, it literally could have been that quick and over. So no matter what you're going through now, like just realize that just the fact that you're alive is a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really powerful story, John. I appreciate you sharing that with, with the mm. audience. Tell us about your decision then to get out of the military. I was always a four and out guy. Like that was my mentality. Um, when I it was a senior year in, in high school, I was like, you know, I'm going to do this for four years and then I'm going to go on to my next thing. So I was never like, you know, army focused. Like I, it just it just was it seemed like the right move for me. Um, at 17, 18 years old for the reasons that, you know, I've just discussed and I never like thought of making a career about it, but I will say, you know, the army did grow on me. I love the camaraderie. Um, it was definitely a place that I excelled in certain areas. Like, you know, I, I always was like the leader and the APFT test. Like I always had the high score. Like there was a lot of things that I did excel in the military in. Um, and there was also plenty of areas that I struggled in too, but you know, overall I was, I was a good fit. So I let myself be open during my four years 
to, you know, thinking about what it would be like to stay in and to, to have a career in the military. But I just never crossed. I just never turned that corner. It just never happened for me. And, you know, frankly, um, as soon as, you know, my four years were up, I was actually, you know, I had 77 days. I'll never forget that number, you know, of built up leave. And so I ended up being able to get out of the military 77 days even before yeah. um, that, my, my four years, which I thought was like the coolest thing in the world because I was like, I'm getting paid right now, you know, like I was an officer in the U.S. Army, but I'm not anymore essentially. Like, you know, I'm like driving cross country and like taking trips, but still, you know, every First and the fifteenth, still getting paid, yeah. still getting my, still getting my housing allowance, you know, like all these things, and so uh, that that was cool. Um, but yeah, that was my thing. It was just like I was always a foreign out person. I always wanted to explore the next chapter of my life. Sure. When veterans uh, tra- transition out of the military, um, one of the things that they often experience is a uh, is an emotional crisis. Is that something that you dealt with shortly uh, at any time getting af- after getting out? You know, it was interesting, and I did deal with. I wouldn't know if I would quite term it as a crisis because that's a very strong word, but I did. I did deal with emotional struggles that I did not expect when I got out. You know, I was like, "Oh wow, like the world's my oyster. It'll be so amazing not to wake up at four fifteen every single day and have like you know literally twelve to fourteen hours." of grind, you know, of PT, of training, of drills, of just having to be on base in uniform. And, you know, just like that, I thought that that was going to be heaven, um, was getting out. And, you know, frankly, you know, after a couple of weeks of like sleeping in and kind of, you know, you know, playing around the computer and like, just kind of like doing whatever, I was like, wow, this is boring. And, it feels really weird not to be relevant anymore. Like I literally were like was like walking around and I'm like I I almost feel like I'm a ghost. I kind of feel like I'm an imposter. Like I'm going into a store and I'm like, you know, nobody cares if I'm here or not here. Like people are all running around, you know, like in a rush because they're, you know, picking up food for dinner or, or doing these errands on their lunch breaks and and I'm just like I have nothing to do. And again, it was good for a couple of weeks, but it just kind of created this emotional void in me that I did not expect or plan for, but happened. And I was like, wow, this is surprising that I'm experiencing this. Um, but hey, you know, like, uh, it's just proving to me that I, I want to be relevant in this world. So what's that next thing going to be for me? And I will say, unfortunately, you know, it made me jump into a few things, um, that ended up being big failures and big, and big disappointments and big struggles, um, compounding upon themselves. But, you know, at the same time, I learned from those mistakes as well and allowed me to, uh, to grow into the person that I am today. Yeah. And the, after a number of those failures, the the thing that hit was Entrepreneur on Fire, the daily podcast that absolutely blew up and completely shook the podcasting world. It was really uh, fun to watch as a fellow podcaster in the industry at the time. Uh, you definitely um, led the way in the way that people look at podcasting as a business, and it's one of the most successful shows to date it's still going at like what nine million episodes or something like that. I don't know how many. Fifteen forty-five, baby. Fifteen forty-five. Um, you're really well known in the business realm, um, and veterans are veterans have been going into entrepreneurship since World War II, right? That was one of the that's one of the reasons why we called them the Greatest Generation. Is not only did they run off to fight this war for us, but they came back and half of them started businesses or were self-employed in some way. Um, looking at veteran entrepreneurship, what do you think, and we're going to look at both sides of this coin, 
what are some what are a couple of things you noticed in yourself or maybe some of the veterans that you uh, have been able to observe that works in their favor being a veteran and going into entrepreneurship? So the biggest thing that worked in my favor was I became an entrepreneur with discipline. And that's one thing that I see lacking with so many entrepreneurs is they do not have discipline. And discipline was a trait that I had to acquire, you know, during my training as a military officer. And I saw the benefits while I was an officer of what it meant to be disciplined, to create a plan of action and then to execute upon that plan, to say that I'm going to do something and then actually do that thing. And that just frankly was missing um, in the entrepreneurship world. And, you know, people were hardworking and they were passionate and they were doing their thing, but they weren't disciplined. And and that gave me a huge um, heads up and allowed me to kind of, like you said, take the podcasting world by storm and kind of bring, you know, a new angle and a new way of doing things to an industry that frankly, you know, hadn't innovated in a really long time. And that allowed me to kind of create the buzz and the momentum that I've kind of carried through to today and generated over now, as we sit and talk right now in 2017, over $10 million in gross revenue from a podcast that, by the way, didn't make really any money the first year. So in the last three years, I've generated $10 million in gross revenue and climbing uh, because of how I operated. Yeah. Let's go on the other side of that because um, every character has their flaws, right? And so um, and maybe character flaws is the best way of wording it, but what are some things – what's maybe one or two things about um, veterans entering entrepreneurship that you see that they have a challenge with um, that's almost inherent because they're a veteran? Does that make so, that question make sense? It makes a lot of sense, and I would say for sure as a soldier and as an officer and just people in the military – there's always somebody above you giving you orders. Like you're always following orders. Like you definitely are encouraged to take the initiative as an officer and be responsible and, and, and do your own thing on some levels. But at the same time, you know, you're given directives, you're given orders. There's always somebody pointing you in some direction. And they might say, you know, go that way and do whatever you want, but go that way. Now with entrepreneurship, there's not even anybody saying go that way or do that thing. And, and that can be scary for, for military um, you know, individuals and veterans who um, have always kind of had at least that, you know, that guidance of some kind from above, you know, that's that chain of command, so to speak. You know, when you're an entrepreneur and a solopreneur, you are the chain of command. You know, you're the top, you're the bottom. And for some veterans, they have a hard time with that because they've never experienced that before. So that's one of the biggest struggles that I say. Yeah. If you – see if I can get word this question right. If you had to leave the podcasting industry and your – place in business in general, the same way that you left the military, how do you think you'd be better prepared to handle that transition having seen, having already experienced leaving a culture like that before? Does that make sense? Um, say that one more time. <laughs> so like if, if you model, I guess what I'm getting to is a lot of veterans, they get out and they're looking for purpose, right? They're looking for their new purpose, but you know, your purpose inside the military only lasted for a 12, 20 years. Um, you know, it had to end. And I, I think one thing that we forget is that newfound purpose outside of the military may not last as long. You know, it's not the lifetime purpose, right? It may only last four to eight years. Um, so 
the transition you had coming out of the military, how maybe you've already been applying it and you're in like pivoting in your own life. But if you had, if you left the industry you're in now, how would you be able to better adjust for a newfound purpose based on the experience you had with that original transition? Does that make sense that I get there? It does. Okay. You got there. You got there. And so my original transition, you know, one thing for me was I didn't realize the void that was going to exist by no longer being relevant, by no longer necessarily having a purpose when I woke up in the morning. And so I just kind of jumped into that void blind and was like, okay, like I'm here sleeping in the morning, you know, having the day, you know, to do whatever I want to do, like not really thinking that I needed a plan, that that life was just going to unfold in front of me. So doing it, if I was to do it all over again, or if I was to, you know, be completely transitioning industries, you know, here in 2017, from what I've experienced, it would be with a plan in place. Like I would know that I would want to have that reason for relevancy, that, that drive and desire to do something. And, you know, it might have no monetary, um, value or game because, you know, that's something that I'm, you know, fortunately able to, to look at as a possibility in life because, you know, I've been able to to be financially successful for so many years and build up build up a, a savings where I would have that financial freedom. You know, to a, to a certain degree, to to not have to have that plan be. You know, how can I bring dollars in as soon as possible? So it might be more of a passion play this time, um, where I can just focus. But it would be something that I was being relevant in the world, that I was being challenged um, by some kind of task and project that excited me. That's that's the big difference. John, I want to get to now to how you use VA. So you used the VA Medical Center down there in Puerto Rico, and you said it was one of the draws that you had to Puerto Rico. Can you sort of uh, explain like your experience down there at the at the medical center and sort of the impression that it left on you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the the greatest um, benefits I believe uh, for me um, starting entrepreneurship was not having the worry of that incredible what, what can be an incredible expense of healthcare um you know being a 10% disabled veteran and a, and a priority 3 candidate you know i was i was an m able uh to utilize the um, the va system uh for all my medical needs and that is huge and so that allowed me the freedom to to really you know bootstrap and focus on my business and not have to worry too much about revenue right away and when i moved um to puerto rico before I moved, one of the big things that I did research on was what kind of VA system do they have on that island? Because, you know, it's, it's a U.S. territory. Um, Puerto Ricans are very um, prevalent in the U.S. Army. You know, I um, can to this day, you know, think of people in my platoon that were from Puerto Rico. It's, it's a great opportunity for a lot of Puerto Ricans to get off the island and to experience the world and to have a great job, especially today where, you know, the economy is really in tatters um, through debts and through mismanagement, et cetera. Um, you know, of course, being a Puerto Rican now, which I am, I'm an official Puerto Rican citizen, you know, I'm crossing my fingers that uh, our, our little island pulls it together. But, you know, it, it's a huge opportunity. So because of that, there's a lot of veterans in Puerto Rico, like a lot. And there's one great, um, huge um, VA medical center uh, right south of San Juan. And it's as good equivalent to any that I've actually been to. And I've been to a lot. You know, I've been to the La Jolla in San Diego, um, VA, to the um, one in Augusta, Maine, to the one in Boston. I've been to a lot of VA centers. And this one is, is as good um, as any of them and, and incredibly well run. And I feel very great and comfortable walking into it. And then plus there's eight 
other outpatient clinics throughout the island. So the the San Juan is where I have to go for all, all of my major things. You know, like I uh, have a rheumatologist and, you know, if I need to go get like a sonogram or something. Um, but there is an outpatient one uh, and, and and that's about 50 minutes away. But there is an outpatient one at Seba, which is a 25-minute drive. And it's, you know, that's where my primary care doctor is. So I can go there for just a little checkups and stuff. So it's been a great experience. Um, I've, I've really been impressed with my, my the level of doctor care. And just the overall quality of the VA experience in Puerto Rico. So even after all of this success, why do you still why do you continue to go to the VA? I trust it. I trust the VA. And frankly, my trust in the VA is is higher than it would be for any other medical facility, whether I still be in San Diego or Maine or Boston, anywhere else. Like I just trust the VA. I know that they you know, pay their doctors and staff incredibly well. I know it's a very desired position and it shows. So I, I, I honestly had initial trust in the VA system when I got out because of my great experience with TRICARE, et cetera, um, when I was in the military and they've done nothing to shake that trust. It's always been a great experience and I just feel very comfortable, um, living in that world. Yeah, Absolutely. I know there's people in the audience that are probably that probably haven't had the best experience, maybe rolling their eyes. So I have to also ask: Is there have you had an experience at VA um, that you uh, maybe not even looking for a experience? Is there anything through the VA process, the system that you wish could see improvement or run a little bit more effectively? Well, you know, I, I definitely am the first to admit it, it's far from a perfect system, yeah. uh, but I'm very aware and, you know, I think you have to compare apples to apples <laughs> is that our medical system in general, uh, civilian or not, is far from perfect. So I just know that the same problems and issues that people have in the VA system, they would have those um, exact same problems and issues in the, you know, in the civilian medical care system. So I'm, I'm very aware of that. So, yeah. I've, I've had some situations that, that weren't the best. Um, you know, one thing that is kind of frustrating to me, you know, being, you know, frankly, uh, a fairly ignorant gringo in a lot of ways is the Puerto Rican um, VA system doesn't have a lot of bilingual staff members, which kind of blows me away. Um, and again, that was just out of ignorance and out of naivety. But I figured, you know, Puerto Rico has been an American territory since 1898, so like 120 years. Um, every Puerto Rican has to has to take English starting kindergarten, and you know they're they're all Americans. So I just assumed that everybody would have um, on the island would have at least some grasp of English, which is definitely not the case. <laughs> Most people cannot speak English, or at least are too scared to even try. Uh, but what was even more kind of sad for me and disturbing was um, that. Within the VA system, which you know, frankly, has a lot of gringos because there's a lot of American, you know, people people that are born in the United States that move to the beautiful Caribbean island of Puerto Rico because it is beautiful and they want to get out of you know Minnesota or Maine or North Dakota, and you know, so there's a lot of um, gringos, as I guess you know, I guess I can refer to myself as uh, that are in Puerto Rico. So I kind of expected that at least the, the VA would, would make sure that there'd be that kind of uh, person that could speak the language, you know, at least uh, very coherently, but not always the case. And that's pretty frustrating. Um, and, and so that's been one of my biggest complaints about the Puerto Rico uh, VA system. Yeah. John, I really appreciate your time with us, talking to us about your time in the service, transitioning out, entrepreneurship among veterans, and how you use a VA. And most of all, John, of course, thank you for your service to our country. Thanks, Tim. 
My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. When John knew he was going to go to Puerto Rico, he decided to look into the local medical center there. And this is something that uh, I encourage everybody to do. If you're going to relocate, if you're moving, if you're looking into uh, options, you know, for something in life that's going to bring you elsewhere, or just maybe uh, maybe you're moving on the other side of, the, of a city and want to see if there's a closer facility to you, stuff like that. You can go to va.gov slash directory, and then you can browse by state uh, to include Samoa, Guam, Philippines, uh, and Puerto Rico, and then, of course, uh, the United States, CONUS. And uh, you can see what facilities are there, and you can filter by facilities. And if you're currently not receiving care at VA and have not um, enrolled yet, uh, I suggest that you file your claim for benefits and see what the nearest facility is to you. If you're like John and making a new step in the journey of life, call ahead to the facility that you believe is going to be closest to you when you move and let them know about your care and try to get an idea if you know that facility is going to work for you. So that way uh, you're starting to get the ball running by the time you hit the ground. You're familiar with the, the facility. They've gotten to know you a little bit uh, or at least um, are preparing for your arrival. And uh, that can make the whole transition process of uh, you know moving is already a headache. That can ease it just a little bit. So uh, va.gov slash directory. Today's veteran of the day is Marine veteran Betty Mosley Brown. She served in the Marine Corps as admin from 1978 to 1992. We caught up with her and got a few remarks from her regarding her service. I always knew I wanted to join the military, but I didn't know the Marine recruiter would be the first one in the recruiting station. So that's really how it happened. I walked through the door and there was handsome Gunnery Sergeant Parks. Next thing I knew, I was at Paris Island. I served in the Marines from 1978 to 1992. I enlisted with admin as my focus, but immediately volunteered for a recruiting duty, uh, which I loved. And so I had, I was admin, I was a recruiter, and I was the MEPS liaison. My first duty station was Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii. Then I went to uh, the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, and then I was on recruiting duty in Baltimore. So my whole time I've had great duties and always loved being in uniform. Well, when I was out at San Diego in 1992, they offered early outs, and I actually got money to get out of the Marine Corps. So I took that and started working as a federal employee and got picked up by VA in San Diego, and then just happened to be here and get to Washington in 2004. There is nothing greater than having the title United States Marine. We wear it every day. We're once a Marine. Always a Marine. Oorah. Oorah indeed. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I truly appreciate it. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, and I thank you for taking the time to listen to This Week at VA. 
You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and of course, through the audio players at the blog. If you have any questions for us, tweet them to us, either at D-E-P-T, Vet Affairs, or I'm at Tim Lawson 21 and use hashtag VA podcast. So it's easier, even easier for me to find. Uh, ask your question through that. I'd like to address it on the show. If it's a nuanced question, it may be a little more difficult for me to get an answer to, but I will try. If it's a more general question, I definitely want to get the best information possible so that way anybody listening can benefit from it from as well. You can also email us newmedia at va.gov. Thank you again for listening. I'm Timothy Lawson signing off. <music>